Rosie Holt, it is very good to have you with me for 20 Questions With. I'm very excited about this because, of course, you are someone who has gone viral repeatedly. And I know you really through Twitter, although I did meet you at a famous person's birthday party who perhaps shall (laughs) remain nameless for the sake of discretion and so as not to name drop. But anyway, it's very nice to have you with me. It's 20 Questions With, so it really is 20 questions. And the point of this is to kind of get a, a little bit of a sense of what you do and a little bit of a sense of who you are, how you see yourself, because we kind of see you through these incredible videos where you pretend to be usually a Tory MP answering questions in a particularly absurd way. So if you think that is a fair enough introduction. I think that's a great introduction. And because I'm not going to ask you about this as my first question, but will ask you at some point in the interview, but on the very, very unlikely situation that someone doesn't stick with us for the whole 30 or 40 minutes, and I really encourage them to do so. I want everyone to know from the start that you are on tour. Yes, I am. I'm on tour. I'm on tour around the UK right now. But we will get into the nuts and bolts of your tour in a bit. But first of all, what is it like being Rosie Holt? Oh, it's all right. (laughs) It's fine. At the moment, I was boring you before this interview that I'm coming off a migraine. So I'm slightly spaced out today. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's up and down. It's fine. I can't complain. The thing about migraines, and I say migraine, I don't know why, but given my mum suffers from terrible migraines, I feel I'm qualified to call them migraines if I wish. I think it is migraines. I don't know why I say migraines. I think most people I I know who've mentioned the word migraine or migraine in my presence say migraine. But anyway, I'm defending the use of the word migraine or the pronunciation migraine. But that people don't understand, actually. It's one of those things in life, isn't it, about empathy. We can empathise with all sorts of things, but actually the level of pain that you no doubt suffer, and I know my mum suffers and lots of people suffer, it's absolutely appalling. And it's it's such a sort of mundane thing, but it makes such a difference to people's lives. Yes, it's so true. I was trying to explain it to someone last night and I was saying the thing is you're in so much pain that actually if someone was to come in your room and offer to shoot you in your head, shoot you in the head, you would consider it. And that's how much pain. It's really painful. We're going to keep you away from people with guns. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not good. But anyway, you seem on good form now. Your fame, I suppose, comes mostly from the very clever ways in which you use your own skill set as an actress and your own political acumen, but also the way that you've kind of used, as I said, the internet, you've used Twitter, you've used social media to throw out your content. And am I right in kind of saying that that it exploded during the pandemic? Yes, that's right. It, it's, it all started really during the Black Lives Matter protests. And I posted a video in response to... Sadiq Khan was had, had written a post saying that they were going to remove the statue of Robert Milligan and explaining why, because of his links to slavery. And he had all these uh, very um, outraged responses sort of saying he was taking away democracy and erasing history. And so I did a video the next day of a woman, like a sort of talking head ranting to camera, saying that she felt that the taking down statues was erasing history, just like Stalin did, who incidentally... I have a statue of in my garden and it went viral a lot because people thought it was real and lots of people angrily tweeting me to get rid of my Stalin statue. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to think back to remember whether I was ever taken in by one of your videos in the early days of your videos. But the brilliant thing about that is that they are when you stumble across them for the first time, very convincing, which is the whole point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was really funny. I, I didn't, when I put that first one up, I didn't ever think anyone would think it was real. But most people did. It was did seem to be at least fifty percent. 
then you graduated on to Tory MPs. And I, I'm curious to know whether this will sustain itself if and when Labour bec- become the party of government. Will yes. you take on Labour? Will you take on Labour ministers and MPs? Because my, my assumption is from watching yeah. your content is that you're not wildly sympathetic to the Tory government, nor am I, by the way. Yeah. But maybe I've got that completely wrong. No, you're right. I'm not wildly sympathetic to the Tory government. But that said, whether if Labour get in, I don't know yet whether my, I think with my MP is she doesn't, I don't really think she believes anything. She's just goes where the power is and just says what she needs to say. So she could quite easily transfer to Labour, I think, if Labour are in power. Um, I considered being, I'm trying to become a Labour MP myself. But really? Actually, yeah, looking back, I kind of think I'm rather grateful that I, I didn't go for it. No, I mean, I very probably wouldn't have been put forward as the candidate, but had I been, I mean, it's a, there's no doubt that it's a tough game, politics. Yeah. In all respect to people who, who put their shoe in the ring. Do you know what? I agree with you. I think people think I don't have any sympathy for MPs, but I do. I think it's a... I, I, I'd hate to do it. And the amount of scrutiny and also part of the things you have to do is defend the party line, you know, regardless of your own feelings on it, which I think must be incredibly hard. So I do have a lot of sympathy for it, but I also think they need to be called out at every opportunity. And power needs to be called out, doesn't it? Because that is part of the democratic deal that we strike with politicians, whether wittingly or otherwise, because we elect them and then governments are formed and they represent us and rule us and we have to hold them to account. Otherwise, the whole thing sort of breaks down. Definitely. Well, also, we're really lucky that we get to do that in this country. It is a huge privilege to be able to do that. It's funny because I was reading today about, you know, Suella was talking talking about how wonderful Rwanda is. And there's a really good book I read a couple of years ago called Bad News. And it's about it's all it's about um, it's a nonfiction book set in Rwanda. And it's about this man who is teaching this this course to young journalists and then he tracks what happens to all the people he's teaching and it's really really grim because basically Rwanda does um, anybody who tries to really talk about what's going on journalist wise they completely ruin their lives <laughs> so you think right that's that's the country we're planning to send people to I mean whether we're ever able to I don't know but so yes we are we're in a very good position here um, and I think we should all use it. I like the fact that you're on first name terms with the Home Secretary, Suella. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah that's right. We we really um we just really pally like that. So the thing that fascinates me about what you do is the satire of it. I mean, obviously, it's highly skilled what you do. Thank you. But but <laughs> but, but but it's it is this idea that you're kind of poking fun a bit, and it's important to be able to. As part of the scrutinising process that we've discussed, it's important to have humour as part of that. I think just, for example, if someone I've interviewed a few times over the years, Rory Bremner, who's also brilliant in different yes. ways. But you think of spitting image, you think of, you, you think of, have I got news for you? These are really important tools in the democratic process. So just explain to us whether you sort of set out with these videos to be a satirist, whether you are kind of self-consciously a satirist and give us your view on satire. I don't know if I ever thought as self-consciously as that but I definitely was trying to make people laugh and make a point as well and that's I mean that's kind of always how I am as a person to be honest with you so even if something horrible happens to me in my own life I do tend to sort of think what's the funny side of this and when I'm relaying this to people 
how can how can I make it funny as much for me as for them because otherwise I'm so English that the idea of relating any sort of pain in a serious way to people makes me cringe so um I think I think I've taken that into my work and before everything exploded on online I had I trained as an actor but I I I did stand up for about five as five six years so and I, although I the stuff I did wasn't overtly political, it was kind of a lot of social commentary. And I do, I do think there's a real place in society for satire, especially at the moment. I, I think it's just it because it acts as a release for people, but also it does it can help you to look at something in a different way. I say that, but that makes me cringe as well because I I think the idea that I'd change anyone's minds is very unlikely. I don't think I'm winning over any any Tory supporters. Well, that's an interesting question, is it? Because Twitter, as we both know, is a kind of series of echo chambers. Yeah. I mean, and now the views of people I fundamentally disagree with often, I find them popping up on my timeline. I don't know whether that's got anything to do with Elon Musk. or Yeah, I'm, I'm getting or, the same thing, yeah. I mean, it may be just that I'm responding to one or two of these people in outrage and then they start coming up, coming up onto my screen again. I don't know. But I suspect that satire might be a mechanism that can reach beyond the echo chamber. Because clearly yeah. the, the majority of the 300,000 people who follow you are likely to be on, on the side and find what you do funny and very watchable and engaging. But it's likely, because they've gone viral with lots of these videos, that they will have reached people that you might wish to kind of look at the world in a slightly different way or at least question their assumptions. Yeah, I hope so. I've certainly seen comedy I've certainly seen comedy like that where people are exploring a point of view I don't agree with, but it's if it's done if it's done well and it's done intelligently, it might not win you over, but it definitely sort of makes you think think about your position a bit more. And none of us should really be sure on our opinion, I think. Well, that kind of leads me to another question, which is just engaging me at the moment, which is that I sometimes find myself disagreeing with my echo chamber. Yeah. Or someone that I follow or and who might follow me who I would broadly speaking identify with I'd identify with their politics, but they say yeah. something that and I'm not going to give examples, but they say something that I think actually that's not quite right. And if that was being said by in in vertical as the other side, yeah. We we'd all be uh, you know outraged by it. And then you and then you dare to kind of call that out and then your own side turns on you and that's actually very uncomfortable and slightly discombobulating yes, it's horrible yes I've had that happen to me a few times and it's really unpleasant and I've got better now because I think the first time it happened a friend of mine um very funny comedian called Ishan Akbar who I do a podcast with called Nonsensored which is very fun um but he said to me he said well why were you tweeting your opinion anyway why should anyone care about your opinion which sounds harsh, but I really, really, it was the best advice anyone's ever given me because I thought, why should anyone care about my opinion? Yeah, I, I, I think I enjoy doing these videos. I think I'm good at doing them, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a certified opinionist, and I don't, I don't know everything. So why am I putting myself out there like that? And I, I think we are so polarized at the moment, and you, I mean, you've probably had the same thing. But when I've had, um, I've had anger from from the left who. I don't know, I've said something that hasn't kind of gone in the right, I don't know, approved opinions list or something. And it's a really horrible, horrible feeling. I've had hundreds of people tell me that I'm secret right-wing stooge and, and a horrible person. Um, 
I mean, I expect it from people I would describe as quite hard left. People, yeah. Because I, I, I'm quite clearly, I've quite clearly, I hope, differentiating myself from them. They they don't like me and I'm not sure I, I agree with all of their opinions. But but when it comes from the sort of what I would describe, and everyone probably thinks they're moderate, whatever their views, but what yeah, I would describe the is the moderate left, yeah, or the sort of yes. centre left. Well, actually, I was just going to say this. I was talking to um, a friend of mine who is who who I I we I think we both class as being kind of on the far left, um, and she gets she gets horrific abuse from <laughs> the moderate left. So I don't know. I, I think everyone's just awful, aren't they? <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> So, just... Tell us about stand-up because there's a very big difference between curating content as you do online where you are you're not in control of the reaction but you are very much in control of the content yeah you can edit it as you wish explain the difference between that and being live on stage in front of an audience where again of course you're not in control of the the reaction but you you're actually not that in control or not as in control of the content because it's live yeah. things can go wrong you have to react to the audience yourself you have to judge the room you have to gauge the mood but I think that's what's so wonderful about it so the great thing about doing live comedy and there's nothing like it is especially with my show where I interact with the audience quite a bit and every audience is different and every audience responds differently to different things that you do um hopefully they all find it funny but you know they are responding differently and and that influences how you respond and it influences your performance so it's a very different medium it's I think people sometimes go to my show expecting screens and things like that and me to be interacting with the screens and I did that initially in Edinburgh a bit but I thought no, why am I trying? Why why am I trying to make it part of the medium that is the internet when this is a whole different medium and it's a medium I've been working at for years and know how it works. So it's it's much more flea throwing, but it's um it's it's great. Yeah, I don't know if that answered. Tell us about the difference from event to event or from venue to venue. So you're on tour in London. You're in, you're you're going to be in South End. You're going to yeah. be in Salisbury, Oxford, lots of other places. Does it vary from place to place the reaction you get? And do you then have to do you then feel yourself adapting? Yes. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, not sort of huge amounts, but definitely. Um, Maidenhead felt very different to Birmingham. Not not in a bad way, but but it, you you definitely and, and um again I had an audience where they were very lively and they kept answering back and things like that, whereas another audience didn't didn't really say much at all. And so you're yes you're always adapting to what to what's in front of you, and that's that's what's so fun about it. Um, unless they hate you, and that's not fun at all, which luckily hasn't happened on this tour yet. But I have had that before when doing stand up. So I can um, imagine that the people who come to watch you yeah. are, you know, self-selecting. So they're there because they want Completely. to see you. Completely. It's so nice. That, I can imagine, is a good thing in the sense that, you don't, you know, if you were in a room full of sort of hard-right conservative, yeah. conservative, you know, people on the right of the Conservative Party, that might be quite tricky. Well, they might have a very good sense of humour. Who knows? But is there is it, as well as it being rather lovely being in a room full of people who are kind of on your side, is there also a pressure that you've kind of got to deliver because you know they like your stuff, that's why you're there, and you've yeah. now got to kind of make it work on the night? Yes, definitely. Yes, you don't want to you don't want to let them down. But then equally, you get a whole different type of pressure when I do club sets. You go to a club and it's a very rowdy club. And they they don't know they don't necessarily know your stuff and you go how are they going to feel about this MP wandering on stage 
um, telling them the, the current government are brilliant. But so that's a whole whole different thing. But yes, yeah, certainly whatever audience you get, whether it's an audience who really knows your stuff or who doesn't, there is a different sort of pressure to that. I've only just noticed that you're wearing headphones because you, yes. your hair is covering them, whereas I've got a shaved head at the moment. So my headphones are very prominent. For people who are not watching this, and I don't know whether we'll release it on video or not, but for people who are not watching this, there are what appear to be, are they medals or they're in the shape of hearts behind No, you? they're just, um, they're not they're, in any, they're just normal they're, headphones. They're not your not your headphones on the on on your bookcase they're like they're oh. it looks like you've won some ski competitions or maybe it's oh, a charity no, no, you walk. Know what? those are all oh. my flatmates he i think <laughs> i don't know i don't know where they've come from i'm so unobservant that i don't even really um i thought you'd been winning lots of football competitions or skiing or something sadly i'm no. terrible at sport and i've never skied in my life <laughs> fair enough rosie okay what well, i want people to understand what they got in store if there are still tickets available to the tour so there there are tickets well depending where you go but yeah so what can we expect um you can expect um (laughs) i don't know it's very it's very funny it's the the show's really about political disc our current political discourse so it's told through three characters mainly through my mp um a right-wing talk show host and then a character, which is me in adverted commas, who's a sort of um, an intense um, do-gooder comedian who who believes she's changing the world. And I use those three characters really to 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 kind of explore what our current state of political discourse looks like. But it's very fun and and it's good. It's good, Matthew. I've Go and see if you like good comedy. I have no no doubt whatsoever. Okay, I don't feel that I'm doing. I'm, I'm, we're getting a sense of what y- you do, but I'm not necessarily getting an in-depth sense of who you are or where you come from. So, could you please, for question number fourteen, if I've counted correctly, yes. tell us just in brief form what your childhood was like? I mean, unless there was unless it was disastrous, in which case you can you can expand, and 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 kind of how you then got to a point where you ended up at Lambda. Okay, so my childhood was. Um... With my home life was great so I'm from a big family someone of five I'm the second youngest and my parents were wonderful so that was all very happy school was less happy I wasn't um I didn't have a great time though I, I kind of did by the end and I then went to I, I sort of always wanted to be an actor and then I went to university because my parents had said well go go to university first because you might find you find something that's that that's much better because acting is awful and I did that and I still really wanted to go so after that I spent a year earning money sort of waitressing and doing terrible jobs and then I got into Lambda and I did Lambda for three years and thought came out thinking yes now I'm going to be famous and then um, (laughs) that took quite a bit longer yeah and now you are famous but perhaps not for the reason that you originally set out (laughs) no Or in the air, but you have done some kind of heavy lifting plays. Like you've done some Shakespeare, haven't you? You've done some yes. Greek tragedy. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I I did my first job out of drama school, which was great. Was Wuthering Heights, um, which we did. We did round, round Wales. It was uh, really really good fun. And yeah, I did Romeo and Juliet in Germany. Lots of random random things. So now that you've got this platform, 
would you consider knocking on the door of the Royal Shakespeare Company or whoever it might be and say, look, this is me. I can now pull in crowds. And by the way, I'm a really good actress. Could you give me a job doing... I don't know some one of the one of the big parts, Electra. No, le- Lady, yeah, that'd be great. Lady Macbeth. Um, yeah. No, I wouldn't. Well, I mean, I'd love, to, I'd love to watch you as Lady Macbeth. It would <laughs> be, be brilliant. Great fun. <laughs> um, no, I haven't. I mean, what's nice actually is my ambitions have completely changed. So now I can't imagine just straight acting, because the the problem with acting is, and I, you know, I still love it, and I still hope to do it, but you are you are part of someone else's creative vision, really. So a lot of people who go into acting are really, really creative. And I mean, uh, you know, at Lambda, we did a lot of things where we'd have to devise our own shows and people, the stuff people came up with was extraordinary. And then you go out of Lambda and if you're lucky enough to work, you're still being put in things where people are telling you how to act and what, what this person's thinking and what lines to say. And, even if you do it all yourself, they might, it gets edited in TV to look like something completely different. And what I loved when I started doing stand up is it's something, it's, it's completely, you're, you're in charge of it all. So it's completely your creative input and vision. And I started doing stand up because I was fed up because I wasn't getting any acting work. Um, and I found it really liberating in that way. So now, yes, if the Shakespeare Company wants to cast me, brilliant. But it's definitely not. It's definitely not top of my list anymore, uh, which your, is nice. Do your friends have your friends reacted in any way differently to you? And have you made new friends as a consequence of being a public figure? <laughs> yeah. Well, my um, my old friends, not old friends, but my my friends. I know, as far as I know, they haven't reacted differently unless I'm not very observant. And also because a lot of my friends are actors and comedians. And I think we're all used to by now friends who suddenly are doing well and then suddenly are not and all that kind of thing. Um, I have made quite a few new friends as a result of doing this, which has been really nice and really interesting, really interesting people, which is brilliant. So can you, could you... (laughs) Could you give us a little insight into what a typical week is like for Rosie Holt? And I imagine, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I imagine you don't end up going to the sort of party that we met at. Every no, week. So no, what, that was so what, quite unusual. It's quite unusual. So what, what is what is life like then? Are you, are you out a lot? Do you I have get... a family? Do you go to the theatre a lot? Do you drink in bars or pubs? Like, tell us what it's like. Well, I most nights I am gigging actually. So I'm gigging in uh, bars or clubs, or I'm trying material out in much smaller places um, so I can try new things out. So it does sort of eat up my evenings somewhat. And then I in the in the day, I mean I I'm quite busy at the moment. In the days, it's just sort of meetings or various different projects. Like I've got an acting project coming up, which is really fun, and various kind of interviews or when I'm touring you you need to get there kind of four o'clock and prep for all sorts of things so it is quite busy and varied family wise um no it's me and my flatmate um who's not family but is lovely and and then in in the weekends I I like to to go for brunch (laughs) this sounds like a very very sensible way to pass the weekend might might you have a brunch on a Saturday and a Sunday? That doesn't count as a question because it's it's just it's too inane. But I've somehow <laughs> find it fascinating whether you brunch on a Saturday as well as a Sunday. 
I love brunching on Saturday and Sunday. It's such a such a middle class cliche, but I really love a brunch. Okay, my next question involves modelling. If you were to look yourself up on Wikipedia, as you probably never have, you would discover that your certain statistics are up. So your eye colour, your height, yeah. I think, your hair colour, perhaps. How much of a model are you? And is it great fun? How much of a model am I? Yeah. Well, how much time do you spend modelling? Like how, big a, <laughs> how big a plank in your in your varied career is being a model? I don't, I don't do any modelling. But it says you're a model. <laughs> I don't know why it says that. I don't know who does the way. All I know is that on I was in Birmingham on Friday and there was this guy waiting outside to sign he wanted me to sign the program. And then he said he said, Oh, on your Wikipedia page, they've put up a picture of you in a bikini. And I went, What? And I went and it's true. And I tried to remove it today, but I don't know if I've managed to. <laughs> it so was have... there, it was there when I looked at it earlier. Oh, really irritating this is really embarrassing so I have tried I tried to remove it today um so this is a myth is it you're not a model no I don't know why it says that <laughs> I, I don't think I I don't I mean I don't remotely look quite like one and also I'm not tall enough if you could be the prime minister yeah what would you change and how would you respond to being interviewed by Rosie Holt oh god what would I change the whole government Get rid of the front bench. I do think the the front bench are so bad. And I think that that started with Boris because he kind of got rid of all the competent Tories who were against Brexit. And and instead, you've just had this absolute dross ride to the top. Do you know, there are some good competent Tories, but none of them are in sight at the moment. So I think that's where I'd start. If What was the other question? What would you change? What would I? Oh, what would I change? Minister, if, you, if you had power, yeah, yeah. Like, what what would really excite you to do differently, or what really annoys you that you would like to abolish? Oh, that's too big a question. I think I do think the I think their handling of refugees is abysmal. My my brother is um a he's campaigns lawyer for Greenpeace, but he's also done lots of human rights law. And one of the things he had used to have to do was go to Yardswood and stuff and talk to various people who were applying for asylum. And he used to come up with some really horrific stories. And uh, he was saying to me that it, it's sort of the biggest violation of human rights really in this country is the way we treat refugees. So, I mean, that's, I'd, I'd like to sort that out, but there's quite a lot, there's quite a lot I'd sort out as prime minister. I went to Yarswood with Michael Morpurgo when I was making a film for the BBC wow. years ago. I mean, I didn't, we, weren't, we didn't go inside, but we looked yeah. at it. Didn't look like somewhere you wanted to end up. <laughs> no, things were pretty grim. Okay, final question. Yes. Who, who, or what makes you laugh, Rosie? Who or what makes me laugh? And do do you laugh a lot? Yes, I do laugh a lot. Um, so a lot of people make me laugh, and uh, and and it's nice because I know a lot of comedians, and they're very funny. They're funny in real life. Some of them are. Some of them are funny. Some of them. I mean, I don't want to name any names. Some comedians are not funny at all in real life. And they are quite self-obsessed. Actually, even the funny ones are often self-obsessed. Um, so I, I can kind of get it why some, someone whose job it is to make people laugh might just want to have a bit of time off when they're not on stage. Like you, yeah. it, It's a big effort to go on stage. And I interview lots of people on stage 
and it's not my job to make them laugh but if I make them laugh that that is a great feeling it's I think a nice agree, feeling right? yes it's a pretty yeah. good feeling <laughs> it's a pretty good feeling but then you know maybe when you come off stage and you're doing your own thing maybe you don't or maybe you just kind of want to be a little bit quiet that's fine but I mean sometimes when you talk to comedians socially they're not terribly funny but a lot of comedians are a lot of comedians are very funny mm. but I like on on tv things that really make me laugh are things like have you watched staff let's flats never in my life it's so brilliant it's about this really incompetent estate agent and it's not really more deep than that but it's so funny that really makes me laugh so I do I do like a good I do like a good comedy as a bonus question, which is related to the question I've just asked you, yes. and, just, and just to sort of reaffirm what you've already said, would you agree that it is one of the best feelings in the world when you are on stage, particularly if you're actually doing a one-woman show? And your show yeah. is a one-woman show, right? Yes. And you've got the audience in your hands and they are laughing and they, you you know that when you're about to say, you, you know when you're going to say the next thing that they are going to laugh. I mean, yeah. actually, actually, one of the scary things is when you don't know whether they're going to laugh. Yes. You have to throw something out there and you kind of, they know and you you know that they're going to know that you've meant it to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know whether they're going to laugh or not. That's scary. But conversely, when they do laugh and you're, you've got such momentum behind you within that room that you think you can almost say anything, <laughs> that is a good feeling. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling. It's really great. Uh, yeah, I think when you're on stage and you're successfully making a lot of people laugh, it's it's brilliant. You just feel quite powerful, actually. I think that's what's nice about it. But it's lovely. Rosie Holt, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you I think you that very might be much. one of the, the quickest, speediest 20 oh, questions is it? ever, which is a great joy and a great delight. Because <laughs> who, who actually has time to listen to podcasts? I have no idea how it works. I guess people who go, go to work on the tube, which I imagine you don't. Or do you? Do, no. you go, do you go to your gigs on the tube? No. No, I don't. I cycle everywhere. Oh. Not to Birmingham. No, no, you're right. I when I'm well, Birmingham. I, I um, Suze Kempner, who was supporting me, drove. She drove me, so I drove to Birmingham. But sometimes I get the train. But yes, if it's around London, I just cycle. I don't get the tube. It's quite a good way of the seeing the seeing the country being on tour. Yes, this is true. As I found with literary festivals, which were a great joy. Yes, Rosie. That's all we've got time for. <laughs> Thank mm. you very much for, for answering much. my 20 questions. You're welcome.